You are listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. Welcome to the Moisture Festival Podcast. I am Matthew Baker, and I perform a comedy stunt show at the Moisture Festival. And I'm Louis Fox, and I perform a comedy magic show and hand shadow puppets at the Moisture Festival. If you're new to this program and don't know exactly what the Moisture Festival is, the Moisture Festival is a four-week festival celebrating the variety arts, and it happens in the city of Seattle. They've got the new venue, which is the Broadway Performance Hall. Now, this is the largest festival of its kind in the world and features some of the best entertainers and comedians working today. The festival happens in the months of March and April, and not only do they have world-class variety acts, the Moisture Festival also hosts a week of burlesque shows. Yeah. Now, if you're listening to this during the festival or around festival time, be sure to get tickets now because 95% of the shows sell out. You can get tickets to all of the shows by visiting the website moisturefestival.org. On today's episode, we welcome in a member of the Fremont Philharmonic Orchestra, Kiki Hood. We learn about medieval music, how to retrofit your kazoo to make it optimum playing abilities. And Kiki even sings us a medieval song. And she talks about what the first Moisture Festival was like, how the Fremont Philharmonic Orchestra has been involved from the beginning and why they were involved and or what it's like coming up with music for some of the acts. It's a great interview. You're going to love it. Yeah, let's do it. Today's guest is a musical Jill of all trades. She is an arranger, songwriter, singer, composer, and voiceover artist. She plays a slew of cool instruments. She is a member of the Fremont Players and the leader of the Fremont Philharmonic Orchestra. We welcome Kiki Hood. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Can you tell the listening audience what you do and your relation to the Moisture Festival? I, as, as you mentioned, I lead the Fremont Philharmonic Orchestra, and we have been the stage band at the moisture festival since the very beginning we were there the first year in the tent in the parking lot oh wow so how did you get roped into it (laughs) um well the people behind the moisture festival are also the people who were behind well largely behind the Cirque de Flambe which is what the Phil was created for um and also the Fremont Players which of course we do the music for as well so you know Mac DeVee was involved in all three of those things and Simon Neal as well. And so that's how we got roped in. I wasn't the band leader at that time. That was the amazing Fred Hawkinson. Um, so you, I you, was, you started as a, like the custodian and worked your way up to band leader. Something like that. I was the kazoo and uh, extra percussion. Oh, and, okay. and then the I kazoo playing. extraordinaire. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, I like to think so. I mean, I always, felt that kazoo was missing from the Phil's sound. And I finally convinced Freddie that that was true. Is there ever like a kazoo in like a symphony or anything? Is that like an actual? I don't know. I mean, we could make it happen, I suppose, if it hasn't. Yeah. Someone's got their master's degree in kazoo. 
I, I would imagine that exists. And if they there is that person out there, please apply to the Moisture Festival. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, I, I almost feel like I'm that person because I know, you know, things to do to make the kazoo sound better and stuff because I've been playing it long enough to, you know. Wait, hang so. on. Like, do you play like a 99 cent like kazoo or like a fancy one? Well, no, I, I think I spent $5 on my kazoo. My, my, my best kazoo now is an aluminum one. They're actually made for backpackers because they're light as if kazoos aren't light already. <laughs> so but, much weight. Because um, that's like, that's the what people play when they're out on the trail. I, I, I don't know. I don't understand what no more marketing of this thing. Kazoo. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I know what, what makes the better membrane that buzzes, you know, because ah. usually they come with a, a wax paper membrane, which if you play it for more than 10 minutes, actually becomes saturated and doesn't buzz anymore. So can you share so, the, the secret as to what you put oh, in? Of course. Your so so um, it's like the, the crinkly plastic bags. So like shopping bags are sometimes produce bags. Oh. Make excellent ones because they're thin enough that they buzz well, but they're plastic so they don't saturate. Now, nice. is this something you figured out or is this like deep kazoo? It's something I figured out. Yeah. Wow. I have a little, you know. <laughs> film canister with spares in case i need them you know? and you you play like a, a smorgasbord uh you don't play a smorgasbord but you play a variety of instruments that are a little bit unusual like a concertina glockenspiel um, yeah. recorder yeah. kazoo um, yeah. what, what was what was the first instrument how did you come um, to well probably my first instrument would be I tried to take piano lessons from my mom when I was seven and that worked as well as you would think it would. And so I don't play piano. Um, I mean, I can, you know, you know, play notes and chords and things, but I'm, I don't consider myself a piano player by any stretch. Um, but then I started, you know, singing in the choir in fourth grade. And um, when I was a kid, we didn't go to church unless we were visiting my grandparents and then we went to church and I, because I had taken enough piano that I knew how to read music, I would, you know, I'd read the soprano line the first time through the hymn, and then I'd read the alto line the second time through the hymn, and I'd just work my way down the parts because I was crazy that way. <laughs> um, and then I started playing cello in fifth grade. So I really got to know the bass clef and, uh, and the importance of the bass line, and I came to love the importance of the bass line. Mm. Yeah, and, and then I just kept adding things, you know, guitar and Girl Scouts, so I could, you know, play the sing-alongs. And, uh, and, then and what do you prefer now? What What's the thing that you are most excited to when you get to pull it out for a song? Um, well, these days it's my the, the latest instrument I bought, which is my banjolele. It's basically oh, yeah. a ukulele on a banjo body, and it has a wonderful sound, but I didn't have to learn how to play banjo to play it, because I could just play ukulele, you know. And it has the same amount of strings. That, uh, do they each have four strings? Yep. Yeah, okay. it's 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 a it's a ukulele on a banjo drum, basically. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, so where are you? Where are you from originally? Where does uh, Kiki? Hood I am a Seattle native. Oh, really? I was born at University Hospital, living in the U District most of my life, and yeah. Wow. Now, did and you? Now go, I'm in South did you go to to school to college for music? I, you know, I did courses at uh, Seattle Central and then North Seattle College. Mm -hmm. um, but when I was graduating from high school, my father was actually teaching music at Seattle Central. And he said, you should, you know, definitely come down here to learn music theory from from Ellen Rawson because she's amazing. It's like, OK. And, and if you're going to start actually pursuing voice, you should definitely take lessons from, you know, Kia Sams, who's down here. So, you know, that's what I did. And then. 
a bunch of those folks moved up to North Seattle when Seattle Central kind of started gutting their music program. Uh, so, yeah. Now, I never actually did, took a degree in music, so. How does one uh, come to be a member of the Fremont Philharmonic Orchestra? Were you a member of other bands first? And then, you know, were you like, ah, I got some orchestra chops? Well, I had orchestra chops from playing the cello and, and mm. the recorder, um, but I sang in choirs forever. But um, I started palling around with Sasha, who's back there somewhere, who's the drummer for the Phil. And I started going to you know, the Cirque du Flambe shows and then volunteering for the Cirque du Flambe shows and getting to know the band. And I, you know, kept telling, you know, Freddie that, you know, the, the kazoo sound was missing from the band. And, <laughs> you know. and so there was a, a certain Cirque du Flambe show where they wrote an intro for the band, but it needed uh, an opera diva, as Fred described it. And, and he said, could you be that opera diva? And I said, I could be that opera diva. So... You know, he and, and Jeremy had written this wonderful kind of soundtrack underneath that they wanted someone to improvise to. So I got to do operatic improvisation to that in the intro to this certain flambation. What does what what operatic improv sound like? Can we hear a little? Oh, I don't know. Um, it was, you know, just adding kind of, you know, dramatic, you know, crazy sounds to things. You don't just play music. You write music. You're a composer, too, right? Yes, how did you get into that? It's, well, I don't know. I mean, I was writing songs when I was in high school. And and then I, I kind of fell off the bandwagon. And by the time I got to second year theory, what you'd have to write music a lot, I, it was like, I, I hated it. I just hated it. But then, I don't know. I just, I guess we started, I got involved in the Fremont Players doing panto. And I guess before then I had started arranging a few things for the, for the fill. And I just, I don't know. I just started writing music more because it's like, okay, we need this kind of music to do mm. song, to do this thing. Um, I don't know. So I just started writing music. I then a lot of it started with um, uh, Babes in the Wood, which is uh, the Fremont players panto. It's a Robin Hood story, but there's these two little kids in it that, that get lost. And so, you know, Freddie asked me if I could, you know, write some kids getting lost music. So I kind of based it on English country dance stuff that I learned through doing early music stuff. And, you know, it kind of just snowballs. Now, how does, did you have a um, theater background before you got involved in Panto? Cause like, that seems like a very unusual thing to just be like, yeah, I'm just going to check out this Panto. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I did, I did theater in high school and mm. then I did, um, some drama lessons or classes at North Seattle because there was a really good drama teacher there that, you know, lots of professional people has said, oh, no, you have to study with her if you can. So I was like, okay. Um, but then, you know, I saw a panto show, the, the first one that the Fremont players did, which was Aladdin. And um, I thought, oh, yeah, I'm totally in for this because it's it's the kind of British humor that I grew up with that I love, but I'd never heard of panto before. So um, at one of their shows afterward, there was a gathering in a beer garden. I think it was the Fringe Festival. And I went up to Simon, Simon Neal, who was running it. And I said, I'm going to be on your next panto. He goes, <laughs> he kind of gave the, oh, yeah, right. Mm -hmm, sure. And yes, I was. And I was the ingenue. And I wrote my own song. And, you know, so. Cool. <laughs> yeah. 
to that. When, when you say Aladdin, do you mean like the Disney movie Aladdin, or is that like a different? No, they're based on the on the on the old fairy tales. Gotcha. Not on the Disney versions of them. Okay, so that the Disney version is taken from a, a prior story. Well, no, it, it's 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 loosely based on the original stories, but they take it in a different direction than we do. Ah, mm. yeah. So, I guess you know in in the in the old old in the original um, version of Aladdin, Aladdin is Chinese. Mm. And, you know, almost no one plays it that way. And we didn't okay. either. Yeah. And, and how many how many shows have you been in for the for the, doing the panto? You know, we've been trying to count. And I th- I think there are like 17 shows total, but we've been doing it for, I think, 20 years now. Uh, and you do so two a year? What was that? You do two a year? Is that the idea? Or no, we do one a year. But um, we first trotted out at the Oregon Country Fair. And it's kind of a scaled down version it's the first time we put it in front of an audience and it has to be under an hour. <laughs> and then we do it again in December or, you know, around the holidays, which is the tradition in England. Yeah. Um, and it's a little the country fair first and then do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Heck of a well, commute you know, to get it off the ground. It is. It's a long commute from England. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, awesome and then have you ever like so you sort of do it's sort of a trial run when you do it at the country fair is you ever done have you ever been doing it at the country fair and been like this show is not good we should not do this this christmas well you know um we've never had that experience but we have Mm -hmm. had you know this isn't quite working we need to rework this this way and you know because and also it's just a matter of you know seeing which jokes people get and which they don't. Mm-hmm. And mind you, we're we're famous for making jokes that aren't for everybody. Um, the classic was in um, uh, Jack and the Beanstalk the first time we did it, um, where uh, the the goose lays the golden egg, and um, the goose is proudly showing off the egg to the ogress, who's basically the keeper of the giant, and the ogre says, so it's an egg. And the, and the goose says, this is no grade A egg. This is a grade AU egg. <laughs> referring to the, the atomic spelling of gold on the... Mm-hmm. And, and, and the ogre slowly comes to, oh, it's a golden egg. And then the goose smiles proudly and says, it happens periodically. So, you know. <laughs> you have to give it to know, them just like, in you know, case. <laughs> exactly. A lot of, you know, a lot of people don't get that joke and that's okay because some of the audience do and you know that's okay and then of course we also have jokes that are aimed under the heads of the adults you know for the kids yeah the the fart humor in there you know i i would argue that adults love a good fart humor joke well yes and you know and that's the good thing you know good children's humor good for adults too louie would make that argument because he has many poop jokes in his show (laughs) I know. Yes. <laughs> so how cool is that to be collaborating with a large group of people to write a show? Is that, you know, is that frustrating or is that invigorating? It's both. I mean, it has its frustrations, but mostly it's like, I feel so grateful for having the ability to do this, you know, yeah. and having the musicians I have to work with and the cast members that I have to work with. It's just, it's a treat. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's not lost on me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because we're now, both solo performers. So like the whole mm-hmm. putting a thing together as a group and then going out and presenting it as a group is foreign more to me because Matt was in a duo for a while. But mm-hmm. um, I think I'd have, a, do you ever have those moments when you're like, 
Larry, you're just not. <laughs> you're Larry, not... you don't. You don't have your jokes suck. Oh yes. <laughs> you and have you like know, a sometimes... rule that like you have to try everyone's joke at least once, or we have in our in our writing process. In our we, you know basically we usually come up with a a bare bones outline of the story, and then we'll start getting together and improvising on those mm. on those notes, and we have a process where after we run a scene, we'll um, we'll talk about what we liked, what we wanted to see more of and missed opportunities. So basically if something is, is really wrong, it will not be a like or a what we want to see more of. And so those mm. things will kind of just naturally fall off mm. and no one's feelings get tremendously hurt unless it's something like, Oh no, dude, this is offensive. You can't do that. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And we run into that from time to time, but you know, usually people are good natured about it. Well, yeah, I know I was crossing the line, you know. Yeah. Oh, good. That's you, great. Now, yeah. From from when you have your kind of bare bones script to when it's ready, how long is that? Mm -hmm. It's a couple of months, and you know, we joke that the the script isn't really final until after the last performance because, I mean, it's kind of the nature of panto that you have to fly on your feet because the audience is giving us stuff constantly because mm -hmm. they're encouraged to do so. Yeah. So real quick. Give us a quick, in case people don't know what Panto is. Oh, it's okay. a little different from going to see a regular play. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, it is. Um, so it's uh, it's history goes back to Commedia dell'arte. So there are stock characters that you'll see in every show. Um, usually there's a dame, which is a man played, or a female character played by a man. Um, traditionally, it's a, a an ugly man playing an ugly woman. Um, but a lot of the shows in England now, they're doing full-on modern drag, which is kind of fun. Mm -hmm. um, the lead boy is traditionally played by a woman. Um, the scripts, if you get a script, they usually say a woman with good legs, but who cares? <laughs> um, and, then, um, and then they're always based on fairy tales. But an integral part of them is the audience participation. So it's very much... Um, you know, if someone is creeping up behind you, the audience should scream out, look behind you, look behind you. And, you know, if someone comes out and says, um, you know, like, for example, you know, I'm the finest swordsman this side of Salisbury Plain. Uh, oh, yes, I am. And the audience should reply, oh, no, you're not. Oh, yes, I am. Oh, no, you're not. And so, you know, it's it's very much we're we're asking the audience to give us stuff to heckle. Yeah. Well, kind of to heckle, but it's it's kind of this this organized heckle, and it's like once the kids, particularly, get get the rules, it's like they usually play by them. Mm -hmm. But it was funny in, in yesterday's afternoon show in in the ghost scene where you know a ghost, which you know we were always too late responding to the audience to to see the ghost. Um, the ghost has taken one of the characters who has already professed his love for my character, and so. This uh, this kid, you know, cries out, "He's left you, Grandma!" And so I, once the audience started stopped booing him because they booed him, which I thought was delightful. Um, I said, "What is my daughter Angora keeping something from me?" You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, you have to build on what the audience gives you. So yeah. there can never be a finalized script for a panto. Then you're like, is "How do I make that kid call me Grandma every show?" Well, seriously. Is there a lot of panto done throughout the United States or is, is not that in the U S um, there it's cropping up in various places. Um, we talked, I talked to someone yesterday who said that, you know, they had lived in England and then they moved to Texas and they found someone who was doing panto down in Texas. And then when they moved to Seattle, it's like, Oh my God, we're not going to have panto. But then they found us. So, yeah. 
they're very happy. Yeah, because I know it's huge like, in England, but I, I I had never heard of it other than in Seattle. Yeah, um, I think it's I think it's kind of catching on, and I think it's for me. I love it that it's a holiday tradition that has nothing to do with any of the holidays. Yeah, yeah, that's um, because because I'm not I'm not religious. You know, I don't celebrate Christmas except because of my family, and mm. you know, I don't celebrate Hanukkah or you know Kwanzaa or you know any of that, but. But it's nice to have something to do with the holidays. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And then you guys are doing, is the show that you're doing right now, the Emperor's, Empress's, the Empress's New, Clothes? New Clothes? It's at a cool venue before the interview. We were looking at pictures of it uh, at the Sunset yeah. Hill Community Club, which by the time it goes out, the show will be done. But it's a cool looking venue in, in Ballard. It is a cool looking venue. And it where sounds does, really good. Where does the Empress New Clothes stack in the Panto Hall of Fame of your shows? Oh. Is I it on the know. Mount Rushmore? I, I don't I don't know that we have a Mount Rushmore. Oh, I mean, I think it's a really good show because, I mean, one of the things that we love about developing these scripts is that we really dig into what the stories are about. And, you know, The Emperor's New Clothes is about, um, it's about deceit and it's about vanity and it's about being sold a lie mm-hmm. and believing it. Um. And then, of course, you know, being shown the lie in the first place. But we add extra bits in. Um, uh, the the young love interest is between um, the, the empress's daughter and the the tailor who is fired because he can't see the clothes. Right? He's being honest. And there's a they have this great argument because you know she she is seeing the clothes and he is not and you know, he knows that he's right. And she is, is upset that he's not willing to consider that she is too. And so they have a makeup scene in which, you know, she apologizes because she realizes he was right all along and she's sorry about that. And he says, well, I'm sorry too. Cause I made you feel like, you know, your opinion didn't matter at all to me and your, your way of seeing the world didn't matter to me at all. And so, especially in times like these um, it's really fundamental for us to think of ways to be right and try to to elucidate to people when they're they're not seeing the truth when they're not seeing facts that don't discount them as people you know so we always find topicalness in any of the stories we do that's awesome because that's what fairy tales are you know now is uh do you sew the costumes do you sew your own costumes we make our own costumes generally speaking Every once in a while, someone will, will, you know, buy something or, you know, we do a lot of thrift storing for these things. Uh-huh. Um, one of the costumes is actually being rented from an opera company or oh, cool. someone who rents to opera companies right now. But, you know, generally we make our, we make or compile our own. Now, but compile your own isn't like you, your own individual one, or do you have someone that kind of does a lot? Oh, we do our own, generally speaking. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, you're, so, so as an audience person, you might be going like, why does that person look amazing? Home ec did not happen with this person. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Well, you know, it happens. <laughs> it's funny because you can tell who, who the real crafters are in the show. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask. One of the questions I have written down from when we were, last week we were supposed to do this interview. Mm-hmm. It says, are you better at sewing or acting? <laughs> Ooh. Um, you know, I don't think I sewed much for this year at all. So I would have to say acting this year. All right. Are you a better actor or musician? Musician. Yeah, okay. Probably. Do you do both in these shows? Do you play music and act? Um, it varies show to show. Um, sometimes I'm just in the band, sometimes on stage. 
this year I am accompanying myself on my banjolele in my song. Oh, cool. Um, in, um, what is it? In Cinderella, I was playing the prince and it made a lovely excuse for the prince not to be around at midnight when Cinderella takes off. Um, the band uh, in the ballroom scene, we added the hustle. And um, this is true. Our tuba player took a solemn vow in college to never learn the hustle, uh-huh. how to play it. So our band leader then, Stuart, uh, asked, said, oh, your, your, your highness, um, our, our tuba man took a solemn vow to never learn this song. Would you do the, us the honor of playing with us? So I went over and I strapped on my bass and I played the bass for the hustle, nice. which was playing when midnight strikes and Cinderella takes off. So, yeah. <laughs> Wait, the hustle is... Wait, how's it go? And then the Soul Train dance line breaks out. We totally did the hustle on stage. Everyone at the ball in their in their ball gowns and whatnot are doing the hustle. Wait, was were you like Prince as in like Prince? No, no, I was the Prince. Prince Charlie. I thought you were like Purple Rain Prince. Oh, no. Although I was wearing a purple kilt, so yeah. hey, look at that! <laughs> and how long have you been uh, doing a panto? And I, I like yeah, around twenty years, we think. Wow! Yeah, wow. it's been a long time. And how long has the panto been happening in Seattle? That I mean, that long, yeah. Okay, I mean, so, the panto itself goes back hundreds of years, but no, but I mean, like, because you saw it originally, and you went up to Simon, and we're like, no. hey, I want to be part of it. So I didn't know. If no, I, I saw it in Seattle. I saw the Fremont Players' first production. Oh, uh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that cool. was that's the only panto I, I know is the Fremont Players. Although yeah. I've watched some on, on YouTube. There are some up there. Yeah. Nice. Now, besides the Fremont Players, you're also in a vocal trio? Um, yeah, we haven't really been doing much lately. But yeah, we do mostly medieval music, but also some original arrangements and stuff. How <laughs> is medieval music different from re- present music? Uh, well, you play um, anvils. And what was that? You play anvils. It's and... all, it's all songs. Uh, we, well, we're, we're a vocal trio mostly, but I do play recorder sometimes for that, and I do a lot of drumming and and you know percussion stuff because there's a lot more drumming and percussion in medieval music than some people might think. And do you, you like penny whistle is involved? Is that? Um, uh, I suppose it could be. Yeah. I don't. I don't play oh, my penny whistle there. But what is it? A loon? A loom? Is that what? Loot. Loot. A loot. A loot. A loot. Yes. <laughs> I don't have a loot, so I don't play a loot. So, and so you're a vocal trio. And where do you where do you perform the medieval music? Um, well, we used to play out at the Camelon Medieval Fair a lot. Mm-hmm. But as I say, we haven't been for a few years. No, gotcha. that's that's the one that's yeah. pretty um, period accurate for all the people there. Yeah, that's at Incarnation. Yeah, and it's thirteen seventy six there perpetually. So okay, well, I have written down that you do Christmas carols in the medieval style. Is that true? Yes, um, a lot of the medieval music that still exists in you know in notation form is music for the Christmas season. Ah. So a lot of it would be sung year round because a lot of it is just, you know, hymns to Mary who, you know, back in those days, you know, Christianity was almost a goddess religion. So <laughs> can we hear, can you give us a little taste of what that sounds like? Uh, sure. Let's see. Um, trying to remember what I'll remember the words to. Uh, okay. So one of the famous one is called Nova Nova, which means news news. And the, as often as the case, the, the, the verses are in English and the refrain is in Latin, and it basically means news, news, um, from Ava or from Eve, we get Ave, which is how we greet Mary. 
because there was this great connection between, you know, the fall, which was brought around by Eve, leading to Christ, which was brought about by, by, uh, by Mary. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so it goes, Nova, Nova, Ave Vitex Eva, Nova, Nova, Ave Vitex Eva, Gabriel of high degree, he came down from Trinity to Nazareth in Galilee, Nova, 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 Ave Vitex Eva. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of it is is really loud and boisterous, rather than you know dark, you know, soft and solemn. Do you ever have like people come up when you're when you perform and be like, "That was my favorite song when I was a kid," or like, "Oh that yeah, was, that was the song at my wedding." Or oh yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's funny because uh, another fellow who who performs down there or used to perform down there, I had I had written a reduction of a four part um, carol to suit three parts. And he was like, that is so cool. Can I get a copy of that? I really love that carol. Like, yeah, of course. <laughs> How many of these medieval fairs have you done? And like, do you have any like weird, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened there. Or. Oh, uh, we've done lots of, we did it. We did it for, for years, years, probably 10 years. Anyway, you see lots of people, you know, kind of dressed like pirates or like, you know, um, serving wenches and things like that. It's like, yeah, no, no, no. It's about, you know, 300 years off. <laughs> you know, it's oh, kind gotcha. of hilarious. Well, that's probably the closest, like, readily available costumes they can get, maybe. I don't know. Now, are you, like, a, a, a snob? Are like, or, or are you just like, hey, you showed up and... Yeah, no, I'm glad they're there. I, 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 I'm kind of delighted that they, you know, took the effort to actually dress up, kind of, you know. I feel like I would make that mistake if I went to a Renaissance fair. Of course. <laughs> you like I dress like, you know, from back back to the future 80s or something like a hoverboard right, right. and be like, that's my Renaissance. But that, that's the thing is you travel through time there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, and, you know, the funny thing is, you know, a lot of these people are wearing, you know, Renaissance fair clothing, but this is a medieval fair. So it's like, you know, a couple hundred years pre- previous, oh, gotcha. you know, so. They gotta have some signage at the door that's like, this is from this time. Nah, they don't know. Don't they're just glad you're there, you know. (laughs) We 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 go every year, or almost every year we go to them. Um and it's yeah, I'm always just like a dude in a t shirt and flip flops. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Northwesterners wear their shorts and their, you know, their t shirts and it's great. Now, did you used to uh work do do performances or work at children's hospitals? Is that what I read? No, I work at Seattle Children's. Oh, oh, gotcha. That's your job. That's my job. Yep. Oh, wow. Yep. And what do you do there? I am a unit coordinator, which means nothing to anyone but us. Um, you know, if you go to visit someone in an inpatient unit, I'm the guy at the desk. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I give people directions a lot. I We put together the the actual paper charts for the patients and, you know, get equipment for nurses and, you know, just do stuff. Yeah. Are you in charge of the name tags also? Um, well, I, I make the ID band. I, not at the at the at the main front desk. Gotcha. You know, like the security badges and you know parent ID things. I don't yeah. do. But yeah. The, the little bracelets for the kids if they needed. Yeah. Them, we print those and you know put the name on the door and that's. Sort yeah. Of stuff. We just we just had a kid three weeks ago and I was amazed at like the level of security of you yeah. know they gave the our kid the little ankle bracelet mm-hmm. you know like the shocks them if they leave or like makes you know oh. you know what but like makes noise if it likes you oh know, wow goes through door some doors 
Wow. Yeah. Because yeah, not that high tech, I don't think. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Ours are just like paper. So if, if you're listening, your hospital's ideal to steal babies at. <laughs> yeah, we don't have, well, you'd, it'd be hard to steal a baby. The babies we have are usually in the, in the ICU, so yeah. they'd be hard to steal. But yeah. Yeah. But no, we have to have, you know, rigorous um, security at the front doors because sadly, a lot of these kids have, have parents who need to not be around them. Yeah. For various reasons. So, I mean, that's part of our job too is, you know, saying, oh, who are you and who are you here to see? Oh, okay. Exactly. And how long have you been doing that? Um, uh, About almost five years. Okay. Nice. Now, before yeah. that, it, lo- mm-hmm. it looks like you used to be a barista. I have been a barista, yes. Yes. Um, at, at at Gold Cup Espresso, and it used to be in the lobby of the University Bookstore. Nice. Oh, cool. What's the, yeah. what's the least favorite coffee to make? Um, I don't know. I mean, they're all kind of fun. <laughs> I guess, any, you know, I guess just because it runs so counter to my taste, things with lots of syrups in them. <laughs> just because it's like, well, why are you getting coffee? Exactly. I, I always now, say you can only class up the dirty water so much. Yeah. So did you also work at, at the UW bookstore? I did after after the after the baristaing, yes. It says uh I think this is probably maybe off your LinkedIn page. It said you one of your job job criteria or things that you did was you right. found obscure books. Um, yes. What like what's some obscure books that people might ask at a bookstore? Well, um, I had a regular customer who was the librarian for a bioinformatics company. And so um, the publisher, she could order books directly from them. And they're really expensive books because they're probably printing 25 of them. Mm. Um, You know, uh, but when she ordered them directly, they always came either damaged or badly made. So she would order them through us and, and they would usually have a better Oh, interesting. That's right. Yeah. And every, every once in a while, you know, the lamination on a cover would be bubbled or something and I'd have to send them back and like that. But yeah. And then there's um, a lot of, sometimes I couldn't order books for people because they're made by um, like associations or organizations that aren't really publishers per se. Um, But, you know, in those cases, usually you're supposed to order directly from them. And so Mm -hmm. that's what I would do for my you know, Have but, you ever heard of the Voynich manuscript? Voynich, I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, did anyone ever it. order that one? I don't think so. Did you just yeah. Google the most obscure manuscript you could find, Matt? No, it, it came up uh, in conversation with my wife the other day. Just like <laughs> what is it? Like this, it's like this obscure manuscript written in some sort of code that no one's been able to unlock, and they brought mm. in, you know code breakers and. You know, they can't quite figure out the cipher, but it has like all these illustrations of like otherworldly plants and otherworldly characters and oh, scenes. Right. And it was it was written well, they don't know exactly when it was written, but they carbon dated the paper to like, you know, the twelfth century or something. And so right. uh, just in time for the medieval fair. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Early medieval. There you go. The middle me- middle medieval, yes. <laughs> No, totally. And and that's, you know, kind of a fun thing because a lot of these things are now being um, published um, by companies that basically find old copies of the book and photocopying them and then binding them. Yeah. And usually they look awful. I've got a few of those off of Amazon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, you have to be careful ordering off Amazon too because, and we used to tell people this about textbooks all the time is that 
you know, they will tell you that it's a certain edition of a book and it may not be. Mm-hmm. And you don't know until it arrives. And, oh, no, yeah. this is the fourth edition. I need the sixth edition. So, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about the Moisture Festival a little bit. Right. Like, Excellent. Take us, take us back to the first Moisture Festival when you get when you get the call that's like, hey, we're putting together something called the Moisture Festival. You were like, <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Like, tell <laughs> us like it? what, like what, what was going through your mind as you prepared for it when you heard about it, and then what the first festival was like. I don't know if I remember what the first festival was like. I remember being in the tent and being cold and it raining. Um, moisture festival right mm-hmm. um but it was just a hoot we had a great time um yeah, yeah it was you know vaudeville and ready yeah thank you we'll be there um and I, I think you know it was almost by default that we were the band there because you know the producers knew us and yeah. knew that we would be into it so mm-hmm. um because we we love and we've we've grown in our love of playing for acts and you know playing music between things and you know little pre-show music and that sort of thing. So yeah, it was, is that, is that difficult to do? Like, you know, I mean, how many days do you have to prepare when an act says, Hey, I want this song. Um, It depends. Some people, uh, it, it, it runs the gamut. It runs from people like um, Al Simmons, who actually has charts and sends us PDFs of them ahead of time. Wow. Um, But then one year too, he said, well, I'm, I'm doing this thing, you know, with the, this, this piece from Carmen and I'm wondering if you, you know, if you have a piano, if your piano player could play it. I said, well, you know, we don't have a piano player, but we happen to have played that for someone. So I have an arrangement of it so we can play that for you. Oh, cool. And so we got to play that for him. And he was like, this is great. Can I, can, can I have the arrangement? I said, sure. <laughs> um, and then there's people who, you know, arrive, you know, and, and ask me, you know, half an hour before the show or, you know, 45 minutes before their show. Well, can you play something for us? We want something lively or, you know. Yeah bluesy or or we you know we usually do our act to to this particular rock and roll piece and can you play that for us it's like well no we're not really a rock band and you know i think most of us don't know this this piece of music but um sometimes in the beginning of the week someone will want will really want us to play for them but they didn't get a hold of us ahead of time and so they say well so i'll tell them Let's, you know, use your canned music and we'll hear it and see if we can play something that's kind of the same feel. Mm -hmm. As people also describing the music, their idea of what they're saying doesn't really translate to me, you know, necessarily. Someone's idea of, you know, something kind of, you know, laid back and swinging is not my idea of laid back and swinging. Yeah. You know, so, so it really helps if we can hear their music ahead of time. And some people, you know, they'll say, you know. They'll, they'll email me ahead of time and I'll say, well, you know, why don't you send me, you know, the track you usually play to and we can, you know, maybe come up with something for that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, like the Rose City Acrobats, you know, they have asked us to play for them and they have um, one year they sent us uh, just the, the sound recording of the piece that they were doing. And so I, I arranged it out for the band and one year they actually sent us the charts. Um, it was a, a, a March 4th tune that they wanted us to play. So we did our best estimation of that. And it was really fun (laughs) playing with them. And they liked playing with us. And and then we did Obladi Oblada with them because they said, Oh, that's cool. Is there a singer in your band? I said, yes, there is. (laughs) It was fun. And I can do it as a medieval. (laughs) It's a medieval Uh, accent. (laughs) Medieval Paul McCartney. (laughs) Um, 
So it was, I did think that's pretty cool because the, you know, the moisture festival, you know, they still have a live band that is accessible to the acts and yep. it's up to the acts to decide if they want to use it or not. Um, do you, what percentage of the acts do you think actually utilize that there's a live band there? You know, it really varies um, show to show. Um, a lot of the aerialists really don't want to use the live band because their stuff is very well timed. And, you know, I'm, I'm totally hip to that. Uh, we're always happier the more we're playing. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of the acts, you know, they just need something to set a mood underneath what they're doing. They're not really specifically timed to hits or mm -hmm. things like that. So often we can just, you know, do stuff that way. And that's actually prompted some of the arrangements we have. Uh, I'm trying to remember their name now. They're an acrobatic family. Uh, Familia Gentili. Yes. Yes, that's them. They wanted something really upbeat and so on. And and so they said, um, well, you can look at our YouTube videos and kind of get what we're doing. So I kind of, like, oh, you know, this kind of reminds me of some Finnish folk music. So I, I set together this thing we, that we call the Finnish medley. And it's kind of the super high energy and builds as you go along mm -hmm. thing that's about, you know, seven minutes long if you play all the repeats and stuff. Yeah. So, Having you know, it's, do you have like a catalog of these now too, where you're like, here's my generic oh, yeah. juggler one. Here's my totally. generic. <laughs> totally, totally, absolutely. And so, and you know, and we're always adding to it too. So, you know, it's like, we want something lovely, we want something different. Okay. So next time you know, I'm going to be like, give me generic shadow puppet guy number three. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, we have a, you know, a variety of fanfares. I, I wrote a thing, uh, I think it's just called Exits, but it's basically little intro or outro music for people. Oh, so, that's great. You know, and for one of them, I just wrote out the the first line of, of Gaudium's Igatur for Master Payne, the magician who oh, like, yeah. from the medieval fair, actually. So, we're, you know, he comes, he's announced Master, you know, Master Payne. And we play, you know, and. One year he was particularly kind of, you know, doing a professorial sort of act. So it was really. Oh, that's great. It really worked nicely. Yeah. It's got to be pretty cool to be sort of apply your creativity to other people's creativity. Oh, absolutely. See how that blends. Exactly. Yes. It's, it's, and, you know, and, you know, you were talking about how you guys are solo performers and I've never really been a solo performer. I've always been a collaborative performer. So I'm there for it. Yeah. 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 Are there acts to you that you're like, Oh, I'm so glad I'm on this show with this person. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, last year I'm going to, I'm terrible with names. So I'm going to forget his name, but the fellow who played the, the tube xylophone. Snubby oh, yeah. Jake. Um, Jake. That'd be Jake. Yes. And, uh, so he wanted to do Bohemian Rhapsody. It's like, Oh yeah, <laughs> we totally want to come in with you on that. So, you know, that is one rock song we do know. <laughs> well, only only the last part of it, but you know, <laughs> da, 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 the head banging part, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then how um, you guys did it originally, and so you do a week or two? Do you do two weeks every year? One week or? Um, last year we did two. Um, this year we're and usually we do one. It, but, so it, it varies. If it there's four weeks of festival, usually each of the band, two of the bands have one week and one of the bands has two weeks. Mm. And then the, the, which is the Georgetown satellites play the burlesque shows, the, the orbits, the orbits, excuse me. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this year it's going to be three weeks, excuse me, um, of regular moisture festival. And then they're going to do the one week of burlesque. Ah. 
And do you do, do you perform at the burlesque show also? Um, I not as the Phil. We haven't. No. Gotcha. I I've sung with um, uh, Katie Weber and Sandy Palmer uh, under the guise of the the peculiars. Oh um, yeah. Um, singing twenties songs and thirties songs and that sort of thing. Nice. And you did that in the burlesque show. Uh, yeah, we've sung at the burlesque shows doing that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that was fun. How many people are in the Philharmonic? Um, we usually well, we used to play as an eight piece, um, but uh, we've been playing with smaller numbers lately because our our flute and saxophone player moved to England. Oh. So kind of looking for someone to fill that zone. Uh, but we've had kind of a a stable, if you will, of eleven or twelve people, so we can draw to make that eight piece, mm-hmm. you know, depending on who's available and stuff, because, you know, it's the problem when you're dealing with good musicians is that they have other gigs. Yeah. Yeah. So you're in the market for a flute and sax player. So wh- yeah, what, sax. let's put it out there for the people yeah. listening. What, what are you looking for <laughs> if to be a bandmate? The script says uh, nice legs. Like pick up after yourself. <laughs> yeah. No, no yeah, dirty basically. dishes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we, you know, flute and piccolo and alto sax, ideally, um, got to have a sense of humor, man. Yeah. Got to be able, be able to fly by the seat of your pants. Cause that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nice. And one person to play all three of those things. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a common thing because of the okay. fingering and the reading is, is kind of the same. Ah. It's kind of like why the viola is, is written in, alto clef is because the fingering on the lines is basically the same as the fingering on the violin. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully this, hopefully this interview will bring, that would be amazing. Yeah. That would be cool. (laughs) That'd be like the coolest thing to happen for this podcast. (laughs) Well, I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we want to thank you so much for taking the time today. And uh, yeah, it's been awesome. You're the, I think the first musician that we've interviewed from the bands. (laughs) Yep. Well, good. Yeah. So, and then we'll get your roommate on hopefully in the near yeah. future. There you go. Yeah. Thank you so much. And if people want to find out more about you, um, LinkedIn, Facebook, anywhere else that they can check out your, um, your music. My music really isn't out, out there much online. We don't okay. really record. So, yeah. All right. It is the Fremont Philharmonic Orchestra. It's the Fremont Philharmonic Orchestra. Do they have uh, a website? Um, we do have a website. Okay. Um, I think it's the Fremont Philharmonic Orchestra dot org. It is. And, you know, it's funny because Fremont, California also has a Fremont Philharmonic. Oh, yeah. so, so the, it's kind of funny. Royal but, Fremont Philharmonic Orchestra. Well, uh, is Royal was in. actually specifically for Cinderella. Oh. That's not really in our name. Okay. Uh, yeah, we that, changed the band name for the Pantos sometimes. For, gotcha. so for Rapunzel Stiltskin, we were the Romains. And for uh, Emperor Empress News Clothes, your band name is U2. So go to U2.com. <laughs> so the website's FremontPhilharmonic.com. I think so. Um, yes. You can get to us through through, three, through uh, Free Monster three, Theatrical, too. Okay. So we also have a Facebook page. The Fremont Philharmonic has a, a, has a Facebook page. So yeah. if you are... Interested in being part of the band, go to there and uh, send you (laughs) Kiki a message. That's right. Exactly. Thank you so much, Kiki, for your time. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to uh, seeing you at the Moisture Festival. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks a lot. (laughs) 
thank you for listening to the Moisture Festival podcast. If you haven't bought tickets yet for the festival, you can do that at moisturefestival.org. You can also find out information about volunteering or supporting it financially as well. Just click on the contribute button. You can also find Moisture Festival. They are on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube if you want to check out more details on any of those social network sites. If you want to find out more information on Louie and I, we do a podcast together that is completely different than this podcast and it is called the odd and off beat podcast and you can find that on any platform that you get your podcasts at if you would like to find out information on louie and i's shows you can do so by visiting louie's site which is louie fox with two x's.com and matt baker's site comedystuntshow.com spelt the way you would expect it to be spelled yes and we want to thank all the volunteers, performers, sponsors, donors, board members, producers of the Moisture Festival for helping make this thing happen. Absolutely. A lot of moving parts, and they do a wonderful job at creating a very unique experience that you cannot get anywhere else. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. And stay moist.